Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Potomac Perspective. I'm Neil Shapiro, Head of Communications at Stiefel, joined as always by our Chief Washington Policy Strategist, Brian Gardner. Brian, I assume you're keeping you're keeping busy in Washington these days? A little bit. You know, Neil, um, sometimes, you know, these things happen by accident. Our timing was exceptional because uh, we normally are on an every other week schedule, and we skipped last week because I was on the road, and rescheduled for this week. And lo and behold, here we are right in the middle of a, another speaker's race. So sometimes um, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Exactly. Well, all right. Well, let's get right into it, Brian. So you, you hinted at the speaker's race. So the first time in history, we sit here where the House has removed its leader. Never happened before, but it did happen this week. Um, so there's a lot to get to. Um, Kevin McCarthy says he will definitely not run again for the position. So my logical first question to you is, if not McCarthy, then who? So let's take a step back. So, um, you know, the House is not going to meet for the rest of the week. Um, there is a they call a speaker pro tem, um, like a temporary speaker. And it's unclear what powers that person has, whether it's just to keep the lights on or whether the House can fully function. But speaker pro tem McHenry um said that the the house is going to uh stay out of session for the rest of the week and that's going to give some of these potential candidates for the speaker's race a chance to to campaign um and then they'll come back uh early mid next week and actually vote so that kind of sets the stage for who's going to be doing this campaigning yeah so by the way this all, by the way, this all sounds like a, a a plot twist on house of cards <laughs> which oh, was an early COVID binge watch. There's House of Cards. There's West Wing. Yeah, force to be worked in here. There's all sorts of, and I tend not to to buy in to a lot of fantasy theories uh, because they they come out of West Wing, which is not which is just not realistic. Um, it's a little bit closer to reality than normal. So I mean, I mean seriously. With that being said, so yeah, let, let's let's look at <clears throat> kind of the. Um, the obvious candidates, um, and, and th that would be the people right under McCarthy who are going to look to to move up. Um, so right below the speaker is the House Majority Leader, Sc Steve Scalise, Republican from Louisiana. Um, uh, he's conservative, so he um, and he's from the South, so he has kind of two natural bases to work off of within the party. Um, the challenge for Scalise is he was. Um, recently diagnosed with a type of uh, bone cancer, or blood, excuse me, blood cancer. Blood cancer um, yep. He's um, he's being treated for it and and seems healthy and okay. Um, but it's a lot. It's a big job to take on if you're sick. His job is grueling. You're you're no. not just running the house. You're the lead Republican of the house. So you are out on the road a lot, raising money. Kevin McCarthy was a prolific fundraiser. Um, Scalise would really have to up his game to match that, and. And he's got a family back home as well. Um, so managing family, cancer, and being speaker. Um, a lot. I just, I don't know. It, it, it's pretty clear at this point as we're speaking that he wants it because the reports are he is making calls to, yeah. to gauge support. So he wants it. Um, so the question is really whether the, his colleagues think that he could actually do, do the, the job. job. Yeah. And, and whether he is acceptable from a philosophical and practical standpoint for for the rest of the House, so for the for the rest of the Republicans. Oh, mm -hmm. So, as I mentioned, he's from the conservative wing. Some moderates are going to have um, some questions of, about uh, 
about that. He you know, he didn't have a great relationship with Speaker McCarthy. And so I think there's some McCarthy allies who might in the background um, uh, prefer another candidate. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so Scalise is going to have numerous questions um, about whether he's the guy or not. But you think he's, for lack of a better term, you think he's the front runner at this point? He is the front runner, but I wouldn't call him an overwhelming favorite. Got it. If that makes sense. Um, the number three Republican in the House, right behind uh, Scalise, is uh, Congressman Tom Emmer from Minnesota. He is the House whip. He's going to defer to Scalise. Um, but if Scalise slips, I think Emmer would would seek to, to put his name in um, and see what kind of traction he gets. Um, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan, um, I think he is gauging support at this point. Uh, he's going to have a lot of support uh, among conservatives. And, and let me just kind of circle back to Scalise, because I mentioned Scalise is going to have conservative backing. You're, you're starting, you know, a Jordan-Scalise matchup starts to split the conservative block, and that creates an opening for somebody. Mm-hmm. So um, you have those philosophical dynamics. Um, uh Jordan has a lot of grassroots support uh, around the country among conservative activists. Um, there's also a question of what the elevation of Jordan to the speaker's chair would mean for his committee, his current committee, and the impeachment inquiry, because you're disrupting that. You'd have to have a new chairman who is going to maybe have a different perspective, um, have different strategies. So that there's there's an implication there. Um, I mentioned uh, Patrick McHenry before. Uh, he's the spe- speaker pro tem. Um, he has said that he does not want the job. Um, but uh, let's see how long this goes on. If no one seals the deal early on, uh, Republicans could start to look around for other candidates, even candidates that may not profess to want it. And I think McHenry uh, could get a, a look um, depending on how this all falls out. And so, um, just kind of on process, and I don't want to bore our listeners more than they're already bored. Um, Never. um, so a person, a, a candidate is nominated by their party and within the party, it only, it only, they only need a simple majority to win the party's nomination. That's step one. Then you need 218 votes on, on the house floor. And that that's where could, you know, as we saw in January, uh, there's a question about whether um, all 221, currently 21 Republicans would stay united or are there going to be defections with any one of these uh, the, uh, yeah. the gentlemen that I just mentioned? Um, I'll, right, I'll it, took, it took 15. It took 15. I think it was 15 votes last time to get yes. McCarthy. Um, in, right. You know, I, I failed to mention uh, Elise Stefanik. She is the. Uh, chairperson of the Republican conference. Um, you know, she's kind of the only woman in the leadership among Republicans. Her name is going to be out there. She's a ardent supporter of president Trump. I don't, I don't think she's going to run right away, but again, you know, if no one can seal the nomination on a first, second, third ballot, then things start to open up and, and other candidates become, uh, 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 They'll get a second look or a third. He's my day. And from, you know, not to be a skeptic, but from a pure political standpoint, the longer this goes on and the more chaos there is within the Republican Party, the better it is for the Democrats. I'm assuming I'm assuming they love this. Absolutely. Um, Now, now that's not without risk. 
Um, there are a number of Democrats from competitive House districts. Um, they are members of uh, a group in, in the House called the Problem Solvers Caucus, um, who is in uh, it's a bipartisan group whose stated goal is to uh, is to reach compromise on various issues. Um, you know, there are voters around the country who don't who are not going to like this. Um, yeah. And for a Democrat in a conservative district, there is always the risk that, yes, this is a Republican problem for now. But if there's any kind of backlash, you know, the backlash can be unpredictable and it could be a pox on both houses. So there's I would yeah. say it's a low risk right now, but it's not zero. So you mentioned, Brian, that um, let's talk a little bit about the timeline. You mentioned that there'll be at least a few days for some of these um, candidates for the job to to politic for it, for the position. What does the timeline look like? When do you think we could expect a new speaker to ultimately be named? I think we should we could get some good in, um, indications by this weekend. Right. So behind the scenes, there are lots of talks and I'm sure dinners and whatnot and lobbying going on. So. Um, over the weekend, as we get to the weekend talk shows, um, supporters of particular candidates may start leaking uh, signs of support. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so there may be some tea leaves to read over the weekend. Um, Tuesday evening, um, there's going to be some kind of candidate form among Repub House Republicans. Um, we could get, if we haven't gotten clear indications by the weekend, I think Tuesday night we're going to have a, a pretty good idea. But look, if, if it's fractured, and maybe that indication that it's it's fractured and we won't have more clarity until there's actually votes within the Republican conference on Wednesday morning. So um, there, there are different times over the next week where we could get more information, but um, that information might be that this is a fractured group as is pretty clear from yesterday um, and that this could go on for a little while. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, speaking, you know, we, we've discussed, we've alluded to, Neil, we're in uncharted territory. We yeah. Don't. Yeah. And well, speaking of going on for a while, so we're also butting up against, and these two things are very intertwined, right? The, what's going on with the House leadership and the government shutdown. Um, and we're up against another deadline. We just kind of got through one before. Now we've got another deadline coming up. We don't know um, exactly when we'll have a new speaker. So how does that play into this idea that another threat of a government shutdown is looming? So um, Speaker McCarthy um, really surprised a lot of people on Saturday morning when he decided to bring up what is referred to as a clean continuing resolution. Yeah, that's what got him into this. That got him into that. That's that's what triggered. Yeah. The Matt Gates group uh, sure. against him. Now there were other issues of why he alienated Democrats, and they weren't going to save him. But that's what triggered the Gates revolt. Um, so when, you, when it takes you fifteen votes to get the job, you're kind of on thin ice to start. Yep. Um, so whoever is the next speaker is really going to face a similar situation. So while the House is uh, kind of in limbo um, for the next week. Um, very little work, if any, is going to be done on the appropriations bills that need to be finished by November 17th. That's when the CR, the current CR expires. And so we're going to be right back in the same situation as the last week of September. And the new speaker will face the same challenges that Kevin McCarthy faced, which, um, you know, are you going to shut down the government or are you going to have, are you going to support some kind of continuing resolution? And, 
you know, a, a Republican speaker, a new Republican speaker is probably going to push for some concessions on border spending, border security, and other issues that the conservatives want that will never pass the Senate and the White House won't support. So there will be a compromise at some point. Will that compromise then trigger another revolt um, by uh, by Gates and company? Um, so we don't know. So that what we went through last week is going to um, reassert itself in uh, in mid-November. Yeah. And, you know, Brian, you also mentioned when you ran down the list of potential candidates for the speaker role, I imagine that depending on who ultimately um, gets the job, certain sectors, uh, there could be implications for certain sectors. Um, any ideas or things that yeah, we should I mean, look, look, about? I mean, everybody has their their pet issue. Um, and everybody on that list that I mentioned, or some of the names that I went over, um, do let me just highlight two names. Um Steve Scalise, because he's the most, uh, he, he is the front runner. Scalise, being from Louisiana, has very good relations with the energy sector. And I think that's going to be a priority for him um, uh, if he were to be elected speaker. Um, now, being elected speaker doesn't mean that you just get to impose your policy agenda. You have to compromise with the White House and the Senate, like I just discussed. But, but clearly, energy gets a boost. The other... Um, whether it's Patrick McHenry or Tom Emmer, and I'm put I'm going to put them together because they're both um, they both favor legislation to regulate uh, digital assets and cryptocurrency. Um, uh, Mc, uh, Chairman McHenry uh, passed two bills through his committee a few weeks ago, um, so I think the optics would be of him or Emmer um, being selected speaker would be very positive for crypto. Again, with the with the caveat that you're going to have to get the Senate to go along with anything mm-hmm. um, that the House does. And there, and the House has passed a lot of bills that die in the Senate. That's the way it is. Um, so on crypto, uh, McHenry, pa- uh, his committee passed two bills, one on, that I will refer to as kind of market structure, the, the regulatory framework for digital assets, and a second bill that is targeted at stable coins. Um, I think there's a better chance for the stable coin bill to pass, it's less controversial. It's probably a little bit more room for him to work with the Senate and Treasury and the White House to, to, to finish a bill. And I'm not saying it's 50-50. I think it's still below 50-50. I'm just saying it has a better chance than, yes. than the other bill, which has virtually no chance of passing because the gap between McHenry and Senate Democrats- Too Senate, wide. Very wide. Between yeah. him and- and Senate Banking Committee Chairman Brown and Elizabeth Warren and other progressives within the the Senate Democratic Caucus very very wide and it's really tough to see in a short amount of time between now and the end of 24 how you bridge that gap but again um crypto could get a lift just from the optics of a McHenry or an Emmer becoming speaker so um so we just talked about sectors any other policy or political implications that you see coming out of this? So, yeah, it, it, I think this is a longer term one, but it's really interesting. And um, and there, there, there's a lot of politics going on with this one, as you can imagine. And I, I'll explain my point in a second. But let me just highlight the issue first and then go kind of back to the politics about it in a second. So um, a new whoever is elected speaker um, is probably going to have to promise the conservatives that they would not, the new speaker would not support funding additional funds for Ukraine. 
Um, that that's going to be a line in the sand for many conservatives, which is why I think this battle could play out for a while. Um, mm-hmm. for the, the choice of the speaker. So let's just say for a second that a new Republican speaker does make that deal with the conservatives. No vote at all um, on additional military aid for Ukraine. I think that send, has the potential to send a signal to China that the U.S. is withdrawing more from the world stage. Um, it's a continuation of what we saw in Afghanistan. When the U.S. withdrew from Afghanistan in 21, um, I think that signaled Putin about you know U.S. resolve in Europe vis-a-vis Ukraine um, and might have made it more likely for him to go into Ukraine. Yeah, I think the similar signal could be sent to the Chinese leadership that the U.S. is going to is is going to be less engaged on the world stage. That it's not going to fight for Ukraine. If it's not going to fight for Ukraine. Are they? Is the United States going to uh, fight for Taiwan? And I think that increases the chances that Ty- that China could move on Taiwan. Um, again, this plays out over a long period of time. And just, you know, a comment on on the politics of all this. It, it, it's the great irony because, um, look, you know, you, you never expect the, the, uh, the opposition, in this case, the Democrats, to save a Republican speaker. Um, um, but at the same time, uh, a lot of Democrats want more money for Ukraine. And the irony is they would have had a better chance with Kevin McCarthy remaining a yeah. Um, so, um, yes, I, I, I understand the animosity towards the speaker, the former speaker. I get the politics of it, but there are unintended consequences. And, um, if I'm right, um, again, this is a very fluid situation. Everything we're saying is fluid. It can, it can change very quickly as the situation yesterday changed very quickly. But if I'm right on this and the election of a new Republican speaker, um, comes along with strings, uh, on Ukraine, meaning no more money, there'll be a lot of House Democrats who wanted more money for Ukraine who are going to be very upset about that. Um, yeah. That's that's the world we live in. Right. And basically, it also sounds like what you're saying is that this could embolden some of our enemies like China yes. and take it as a signal to... to, to um... Correct. And I don't, think, I, I don't think the market is thinking through that just yet. It's very early days on this. Um, but... Uh, I am pretty confident that Beijing is is watching this. Yeah. Well, it was a rough day for the markets um, yesterday, the day that this all happened. Yep. Uh, I know there was a lot of other factors going in, but it seems like some of this is starting to like play into this narrative of are there things that we're not taking into account that we should be in terms of the market, yeah, it, 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 yeah, whether it, it's Fed and interest rates or whether it's, you know, politics. Um, it does seem like the or October, which is historically not a great month for the market. Um, it does seem like that's pendulum is swinging a little bit. Correct. I mean, I, I know uh, our colleague Barry Bannister has done a lot of work on yes. market trends and and uh, the October effect, the fall effect. Yep. My words, not Barry's, but I think I'm, I'm characterizing his his takeaways and his conclusions correctly. Um, so there's certainly that you have the Fed. Um, there there are lots of things going on, but um, you know, as I said in a note yesterday, just the, the posing of a speaker. Um, 
can lead to a, a risk off sentiment because it, it reinforces fears of government dysfunction. Um, you can't quantify it um, in terms of lost GDP, um, lost productivity, uh, anything um, right. uh, at a macro level. But from a sentiment standpoint, exactly. um, it's, it's a negative. Yeah. And so, and on that, the longer this goes on, um, the more um, confidence the market loses in in Washington, and, and that's not a positive for the. Uh, it, it, now, at the flip side, if this can get resolved quickly, and a strong, competent speaker can be elected, um, you know, the market can reverse itself fairly quickly um, and just say, okay, kind of a one off. We're we're back to whatever normal is considered, but. Um, you know, I, that's probably an, a fairly unlikely scenario, but I have to throw it out there. Right. And as we said, we are butting up against this other deadline. of Yep. That, and that, that's why I think it's, you know, I, I don't expect markets to, I don't expect the market view of Washington to bounce back immediately because you have these other issues hanging over the markets like yeah. the possible shutdown. So I'm going to put you on the spot as we wrap up here. So if we keep our normal cycle mm-hmm. and we go... Not next week, but the week after. So two weeks from now. Um, what is your sense of where we'll be in two weeks in terms of getting some level of of resolution on how this all plays out? We'll, we'll have a speaker by then. I'm, yeah. um, it, I'm at least 90% sure I'll never go to 100 because things, you know, mm-hmm. are, there's always that unpredictable factor, the tail risk. But I'm I'm in the ninety percent camp that in two weeks, yeah, be a, a new speaker. All right. Well, we have it on. I was going to date myself and say we have it on tape, but we have it on digital. We have it on the cloud. I, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't avoid leaving. I didn't. I, you know, I gave myself a little wiggle room for a reason, Neil. So yeah, yes. <laughs> but I, I know you're going to come back at me and say, ah. Uh, yeah, but I dated myself with saying we have it on tape. Nobody yeah, says that right. anymore. It's in the cloud, and that lives forever. That lives longer than tape. The tape disintegrates after a certain amount of time. Um, all right. Well, Brian, I know you're super busy. I know you got a CNBC hit coming up. So thanks, as always, for for taking the time out and explaining all this uh, to everyone. Appreciate it. Thanks. And thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you again next time with another episode of Potomac Perspective. Take care.